Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to lovely Las Vegas for Just Kisses with myself, Dave Hughes, and now a part of the Beeson Family of Podcasts. We've got a great podcast for you. It's in the second segment. We're going to be joined by Brian Burton. He does an amazing job over there with All Access Network. That is something that he wound up founding, and he is actually the CEO of. They do many different things, covering all forms of basketball, obviously. Nice levels of college basketball. They do a little bit with regards to the JUCO scene, high school. list goes on and on because Brian actually used to be a coach. Now he does some analysis work over there at ESPN as well. So this is a man that's very well tied in. And because he is a former coach, I want to get his take on just how different it is for these coaches and these programs setting up their rosters than we've seen in years past, how many coaches are able to utilize the transfer portal and how a specific, not to call it a job skill, but just a job experience for some of these certain guys actually helps them out in this day and age of college basketball. We're also going to be talking with them about just some of the younger coaches that we've been able to get in college basketball, finding the right fit as well as that relates to Imani Bates as he is currently out there in the transfer portal. Some of the guys that wound up transferring that are going to be able to make a big impact as well and how NIL is changing the game with regards to college basketball that might be hurting mid-majors in future years as well so it's a very wide-ranging chat it's going to be right around like 22 or so minutes so we've got some good stuff with Brian in the second segment then in the final segment we did wind up seeing quite a few transfer moves including a 20 plus point per game score that is returning to the school that he played at last season. So we're going to give you guys a recap of that in the final segment. And if you do have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be able to throw those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GUnit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters ZM, naming does not matter, so as per usual, please send these into the timeline. And the other way is find an Apple podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. It is always a pleasure to get Brian on because I didn't wind up getting any Twitter questions. But with that said, we did have a great chat with him. So that is going to be coming up next right here on the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast. 
It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, 
which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, a part of the VEASAN family podcast, it is great to be joined by our guest as Brian Burton is joining me. He does a great job as a college basketball analyst. You saw him on quite a few of ESPN's podcasts, and he also is the founder and CEO of All Access Network that is just dedicated to being able to take a look at college basketball being able to take a look at the sport and not just at the D1 level. They do a little bit more than that. I know that they dive into pretty much all sectors of basketball. So Brian, very well-traveled man, a man that has just so much experience with regards to the industry. And you're able to follow him on Twitter at Coach Burton and then the number 13 at the back after that. And Brian, it is great to have you aboard. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate the intro and appreciate the invite and always look forward to coming back on. I got to do this once and that means I must not have messed up too bad because I'm back again. So that's good. Yes, sir. It is great to have you aboard. And Brian, with you having a background in coaching, I just want to get your thoughts as to just how different it is putting together a roster now than even say like five years ago, because the transfer portal, it was taking off a little bit more when like Eric Musselman was utilizing it to be able to get Nevada into some NCAA tournament wins and things like that. But I mean, just over the last five years, things have wound up exploding with it. Just how different is it trying to construct a roster now than, like I said, even five, six years ago? Yeah, maybe even less than that, Greg. I would say that it's significantly different for those that haven't coached in junior college. So it's only freshmen and sophomores that play in junior college. And you're so used to that turnover every year. So guys like Mark Adams, right, who've coached in junior college, and there's several others. I Chris Jans. Chris Jans, Grant McCaslin, you name it. There's a ton of guys that have coached at the junior college level. Those are guys that I kind of came up with in the industry. Chris Beard did coach his junior college as well. I think those guys have a different feel because they've done it. doesn't make it easy because you're not really expecting to have to do it at the four-year level because you normally have more stability. More Normally when you get a good player, it's so hard to get one. And then when you get them, you normally can hold on to them a lot longer. But now in this day and age, it feels like you have one year, maybe two at most. And most of those guys are going to be leaving, whether they're transferring up to the NBA edge at the highest level, or if not, they're transferring across to another school that 
maybe in the same league as we saw from Remy Martin leaving from Arizona State and goes and wins a national championship at Kansas, leaves the Pac-12 for the Big 12. So it's definitely a huge different landscape. And I think the biggest new component of this offseason, if you remember, NIL happened July 1st is the birthday or anniversary of it. Well, most recruiting is done by July 1st. So this year is the first year NIL has really impacted the transfer portal. We've seen some outrageously large numbers being thrown around and some that have not been thrown around that are maybe less public. But it seems like now that's going to be an even bigger part of the transfer portal is not just being at the highest level, but being at a place where you can win and possibly benefit off the court in some very huge ways as well. And just taking a look at NIL, how big of an impact do you think it is going to be that you do wind up having some of these boosters like we're seeing at Miami that they're willing to shell out the money. They're willing to just wind up giving out $400,000 and a new car to Nigel Pack because you've got to feel like it is going to be able to give a little bit of a leg up to these power conference schools because something that I've really noticed in college basketball last few years is that we talk about the transfer portal and how it was going to be the death of many of these mid-majors. And I almost feel like it's been the opposite because while the guys that wind up tearing it up at the mid-major level score 15-plus points per game, they go up a level, they seem to have less of an impact than these guys that just wound up being at the end of the bench on, say, insert your power conference school here. They wind up going down a level, and then they wind up tearing it up there and I feel like NIL might wind up mitigating some of the benefits that these mid-major schools have had in recent years. Yeah, you touched on a lot. I think that NIL, I like everything. I think it's going to all kind of even itself out, right? It's new. It's exciting. It's never been done before. So it feels totally different when it's when you're in the front end. But you mentioned some things that are so spot on is that, you know, as much as there's guys that are transferring up and that have numbers, There's also people that are transferring down that have had numbers as well. So I think that's something to keep an eye on. Absolutely. As we do have Brian Burton joining me on the podcast. Does a terrific job over there at All Access Network. Also is a great college basketball analyst. And I think that it is going to be really interesting to take a look at what we wind up getting there. And also what winds up coming with the transfer portal is I feel like more opportunities for these younger coaches to be able to rise and more opportunities for coaches to be able to fall because it used to be a case in which you used to get a full recruiting class to be able to get things online if you wind up taking over a, let's call it what it is, school that is not necessarily doing the world's greatest, a school that they need a little bit of a rebuild. We wound up seeing it this last year with Iowa State. They went from two from having two wins the entire 2020-21 season, both coming over Swag schools, and they won two games in the NCAA tournament, something that would have been completely unheard of just even three to four years ago. But along with that, more coaches are getting canned after, say, two to three years rather than getting that full recruiting class as well. So I do feel like with regards to the transfer portal, we're also noticing that it's having a big effect on coaches in which there's a lot more pressure early and there's a lot more opportunity for success early, but there's a lot more opportunity for failure as well. Yeah, I think on both sides. And if you look at the kind of the landscape of coaching, there's a trend that's happening, right? One, a lot of mid-major coaches are moving up to the high major level, but largely because a lot of the high major coaches are either retiring, stepping to the side, maybe, like you said, not having as long of a leash because maybe their organizations feel like right, wrong, or different. They couldn't adjust to the times fast enough, whatever the case may be. But you see, you know, obviously Jay Wright steps down. That's a huge pillar in college basketball. You got Coach K stepping down this year. Roy Williams steps down last year. 
Um, you can kind of keep going on down the line. Lon Kruger recently stepped down, and you see a lot of the guys that have been in this thing for a long time. Bruce Weber, even a guy who's had a lot of success, leaves Kansas State. And so you see a lot of kind of new blood and a lot of the older coaches that have been there for just fixtures in college basketball stepping down. And I don't think it's that they couldn't necessarily deal with the transfer portal, but it's so different than what you're used to. I mean, you're literally guys are sitting in May and there's a lot of top 25 level programs that have questions around what is their roster going to look like? And they're still trying to figure out how they're going to put this whole puzzle together. So definitely very interesting in different times. I think that athletic directors and people, you kind of mentioned that younger coaches have a chance to rise faster in a sense, because it's not as much based on how you can recruit five stars like it used to be before or four stars or recruit high school prospects to that level. Now, I mean, you have an opportunity to recruit from the portal and you can get older, stay older. But on the flip side, like you said, it can backfire too, because that one season, it doesn't go as well as you want. puts a lot of pressure on the next season because everyone kind of knows you can go out and kind of replace and get older faster. So It'll be interesting to see. It's still an early sample size. This is just the second offseason of the one-time waiver. The portal's been around, but before in the portal, guys had to sit out. So you mentioned Musselman earlier. Uh, when I was in the Mountain West at Fresno State, we coached against Musselman. And, you know, they were able to sit guys out in order to put themselves in that position. So of the 13 scholarships that you get, he was using, you know, probably five of those to sit guys out, and he was using the rest of them to have a roster and hoping that you can stay healthy and get some good walk-ons to plug in the gaps. But now no one sits out, you know, so I think that's what's so different in this day and age in the transfer portal. I am curious to see how does NIL, now that it's in place and now that people are using to recruit, how does it affect? We saw the situation in Miami where Nigel Pack gets this money. One of the returners that really talented player, one of the reasons why they made such a run is like, well, hey, wait a minute. If he's getting this, now we probably all know he really wasn't trying to leave. He just wanted to get more money where he was because if he wanted to leave, he didn't have to make a fuss about it. He could have just left. But I'm curious to see how that affects locker rooms and how that affects guys as the season is going on that people know kind of what they're making or what their salary or what they're, even though it's NIL, what kind of, return are they getting on that investment so it'll be curious to see on that yep look no further than nfl quarterbacks where if one guy's making more money you wind up seeing things like we wind up seeing with kyler murray deleting all of his instagram posts of him having any sort of a trace with the arizona cardinals as well so i do think that that could be a little bit of a new element of things that you were touching on brian as we do have brian burton joining me right here on the podcast and when it comes to the transfer portal, what we've actually been able to get, I think that it is very fascinating because we take a look at some of the splash names that we wind up seeing, and some of these guys don't wind up panning out the way that we think just because I do think something that winds up getting lost with regards to the transfer portal is fit. Like, I take a look at last year. I thought that Marcus Carr going to Texas, that wasn't necessarily going to pan out because Marcus Carr, very good player, but someone that needed the ball in his hands, Texas yep. and the Chris Beard yep. style, it is a little bit more of a case in which the whole is greater than some of its parts, and you typically don't have that guy that goes off for 15-plus points per game. We wound up seeing that. Meanwhile, a guy like a Walker Kessler, who wound up not necessarily doing a lot in North Carolina, found his perfect fit at Auburn, wound up being just absolutely tremendous, blocking four and a half shots per game. Auburn was able to rise up 
do much more than we wound up expecting. So that was very good for them. When you take a look at what we've been able to get this season, are there maybe a couple guys that you feel are going a little bit under the radar that they're just good fits at the program and you think might be able to take off this upcoming season? Yeah, you know what? I think there's a lot of that. It's, it's harder to probably pick one guy. You're great at asking this question. I'm thinking on kind of both sides, right? You have, I think there's a lot more pressure on Nigel Pack to be this player that's supposed to be one of the better players in college basketball based on what he's receiving, right? But, and he was the number one or number two behind Kendrick Davis portal rated transfer at the time. But obviously Miami exceeded expectations last year. They did a great job. They got a transfer portal point guard last year. And Charlie Moore, if I'm not mistaken, from DePaul. So it was able to pick up a guy who did a really good job. They make it to the lead eight. Are they going to surpass that this year? And is there going to be more pressure on Pack, who was on a Kansas State team that didn't win a ton of games, but he had great numbers. So you hope he does well, but is there more pressure now because of that? So curious to see that. I think there's some guys like, you know, Kenneth Lofton's a guy that is in the portal now, still can go back to college, but also is in the NBA draft process. I think he's a name to keep an eye on just because he's a guy that he's a college basketball player, throwback player, did really well in the USA games and can score inside, is physical, can rebound, is skilled. And I won a conference championship his freshman year at La Tech, still a young player, just a sophomore. I think Houston and Memphis maybe coming to some of the guys that he's considering going to kind of down the stretch, a Houston area kid from down in Beaumont area. So he's one I would say keep an eye on. Man, I think Balakai Smith, if I'm not mistaken, from Chattanooga. Um, Chattanooga, Tennessee, Chattanooga, just another guy who can score a lot of different levels, score in a lot of ways, tough, physical, has won and, and led a team to win. I, I think winning still matters. I think sometimes guys that have numbers and that haven't won, and that's not to take away from Pack, but even Kendrick Davis, who was the number one rated portal transfer by most people's standard, a guy who is a player of the year in his league, arguably the best point guard in the country, Won 24 games. They were on a bubble to get in the tournament. Penny Hardaway's never had a point guard of this caliber, of even his caliber, that can be considered one of the best players, not only in the conference, but in the country. So I'm curious to see what Memphis does. They've always had a talented roster. I think Penny's, you know, he's got a lot of negative publicity or flack or criticism because he's had these guys that have maybe underachieved or just wasn't ready for the lights yet, but they had all this expectation coming in. Whereas now he's got a guy who's already been there, done that. He's tough. He's a winner. He's competitive. Uh, he probably is much more like him than some of the freshmen that have come in that you're trying to mold. And he really hasn't had good guard play and decision-making. So as hard as it is to coach, most of the best coaches have some good players on the floor, guards especially, that can make decisions and make plays. So those are some of the ones that stick out. I am curious to see, like I said, what a guy like Penny can do now that he has a point guard. I thought he did a tremendous job last year, ending the year, even though it started out ugly and figuring out the whole thing with, uh, again, talented freshmen taking Gonzaga to the wire. Let's see what they can do when they have a guy like Kendrick Davis leading the show. And you mentioned Benny Hardaway as well, one of those guys that we're going to call what it is. It did not pan out for him whatsoever. That would be Imani Bates, someone who many people thought if he would have stayed in the 2022 class, he might have been the number one overall recruit. And he's down to six with Michigan, Arkansas, Seton Hall, DePaul, Louisville, and Eastern Michigan all on that list. And I take a look at Imani Bates, and I think that he's so intriguing because, once again, this goes to fit. Clearly, it just was not a fit at Memphis. I don't think that there's any debating that. That did not wind up going well. But if he does wind up going to a program like a DePaul, that would probably let him run the show. I think that he could be a big-time difference maker. Now, I don't know if he winds up taking DePaul to the 
promises of many, many years ago after it's been right. downtrodden for them for many years. But I do think that if Amani Bates is able to find the right fit, he would be absolutely tremendous and one of the most impactful guys in the portal. If he winds up getting the wrong fit, though, it could be another case in which you wind up seeing a team a little bit derailed because I feel like that's one of the most volatile things. Take a look at these high usage guys because if it goes right, it's a home run. And if it doesn't, we wind up seeing it, like I mentioned with Marcus Carr, it actually derails the team a little bit. I think Texas is such a good example, right? They inherited and returned over 100 points per game to start the season last year. I think they were as high as four and five on many of the polls just based on the acquisition of talent. But one thing about the portal, as you just touched on, is it's definitely about the right fit, the style of play, the amount of usage. Again, Marcus Carr is a perfect example. And I think he was in the portal at one point in time, even after this season, trying to figure out what's next. But the hard part is his stock is so different than last year leaving Minnesota because he was a high usage guy, got to be able to make a lot of mistakes, take a lot of shots, have the ball in his hands a ton. Whereas in Texas, the way they play in their motion offense, a lot more passing, cutting, screening, a lot lower possessions, not near as many ball screens. So it's definitely interesting to see when you kind of break that down and a guy like Amani Bates, sometimes these young guys that have this upside and this potential, and they've kind of earned it more based on their talent and on their upside and not necessarily on their production against other good players that are like size, you know, like ability. So when you're Amani Bates and you're playing in high school, most people you're playing against are not even close to the talent level you are. So, and he was so good, so young, those positions are hard for those guys because it's Who's able to help that young man understand in high school how much better he needs to get or how much harder he has to play, right? Like, I'm one of the best players in the country. I could be in the NBA tomorrow, so how can you tell me? So it's really hard to keep those guys accountable. Once they get to college and guys are just as physical, just as strong, just as fast, can jump just as high, and now they're paying attention to the intricacies and the details of the game, well, guys like that tend to struggle. But Penny or guys like Penny who have those kind of Calipari's been through the same kind of criticism many times, even Coach K at times, because when you get these young guys that are kind of one and done, supposed to be products, people expect it to be a microwave. And it doesn't always happen that way. Guys that have more maturity or more basketball pedigree in a competitive environment are usually more ready. But curious to see where Monty Bates goes. I hope he lands in a situation where he can play the type of role that he wants to be able to play. He definitely probably shouldn't be the alpha or considered to be the best player. He probably needs some other upperclassmen with him. But, yeah, kind of going back to that Texas example, I think even you see them, they sign a guy like Jabari Rice, who is a, kind of a rollish player for New Mexico State that they move up. Well, last year, everyone that they signed almost averaged 12, 15, 17, 18 points a game. So now it seems like they're trying to change a little bit in their approach and maybe adding some glue guys as they get older too. But one thing you pay attention to at the portal, teams that commit all into the portal, like a Texas, for example, you almost have to keep going back to the portal with most of your recruiting class because where else are you going to get your players unless you sign a bunch of players high school early? It's kind of a tricky balance because you don't know how many of those portal guys are going to work out. So most really good high school players you sign early. So it's a delicate act to watch too. Some teams will go 85%, 75% portal like Texas did. And then other teams may just sprinkle in and supplement here and there. Former player Maya Sule Boom is going to Xavier. They had one spot to fill. They had pretty much everybody back. Uh, Sule Boom was a Conference USA player of the year. I think he's one to keep an eye on. A really talented player, average 20 a game at UTEP, going to Xavier. Tournament-level team, just adding that one piece when they have everybody back. Those are teams like that, 
St. Mary's, Creighton, they added a big-time transfer, probably one of the more underrated transfers as well, I believe from South Dakota or South Dakota State. Yep. That's going to be a big time because they're already a top 10-ish level team without him. You add him to that. I mean, you're talking about Creighton having a chance to really make a run to to play on the final Monday. So I think those kind of things are interesting to see because I still think the best teams, you look at Baylor, obviously North Carolina had a ton of returners. Kansas had a ton of returners. They add that one piece and Remy Martin, but they had a ton of returners back. I still think that formula, having a lot of continuity and returners back, is still going to really pay dividends in the long run. And to your point, you talk about teams that have to go back to the portal time and time again. They're sort of stuck in that endless loop. A guy that we've been mentioning a lot in this interview, Eric Musselman, he's done a great job of being able to hit their recruiting trail this year, bringing in three McDonald's All-Americans, has quite a few returners, has some guys coming in in the transfer portal. So I certainly commend him for being able to do a nice job of being able to mix and match. And I commend you, Brian, because you do absolutely amazing work of being able to mix and match with all the things that you wind up doing because you did (laughs) some great work with ESPN this year, doing some color commentary on some of their broadcasts. I know that you're over there at All Access Network. You're the CEO and founder of that. Just taking a look at the game of basketball. You're a man that you do some coaching as well. So you're a man that you cover all the bases, my friend. So let the good people at home know it's all on tap for you and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms. Yeah, thank you for that, uh, the kind words. And I don't know if you know how much your reputation of being a really hardworking guy, you're covering mid-major as good as anybody. And obviously you cover the whole landscape, which is not easy to do in itself. So credit to you and kudos to you for all you've built with your platform and also all that you cover day in and week in and week out. But yeah, for me, you mentioned earlier, Coach Burton 13 is the handle for my socials. They kind of lead a pathway through the other socials that I'm a part of. But yeah, still involved with kind of the sports management side of the game, whether it's events. We had an MTE last year, which was really cool. Rising coaches who I also serve as a vice president on uh, their DI Alliance. Our first MTE, and they actually bought the naming rights. So that was really cool. So it was a Rising Coaches Classic. And then we do some stuff development-wise, basketball-wise. We try to help coaches really try to serve all parts of the game, from coaches to players to programs to the media. So we've been really fortunate. I was able to do a lot of games in the Mountain West last year. was able to do two NCAA postseason games. One was the NCAA Tournament Division Two, and the other one was WNIT. So my first year in broadcasting, so it was definitely a blast. Enjoyed that part as well. And you can find All Access Network podcasts on Apple and Spotify, and we usually do. We have 25 million views in two seasons, on mainly from streaming from social media and YouTube. So we try to do our best to cover said, all levels of college basketball, from junior college all the way up to the highest level, and then we even sprinkle a little high school in there. So appreciate it again, and uh, yeah, look forward to coming back. And to your point, the Rising Coaches MTE that you guys wound up doing last season, that was really a little bit of a coming out party for Charleston, who was a fun team to watch in South Carolina State. We wound up seeing the Madlocks both wind up now going to Alabama State with TJ Madlock going yeah. over there on Monday. So that launched them a little bit as well. So that was a fun one that I still remember having a good time being able to watch last season. So 
it's going to be very exciting to see what you guys are going to be able to do this season as a little bit of an encore to season number one. And Brian is just doing absolutely amazing work over there. Like I mentioned at All Access Network, ESPN, he's doing the multi-team event that I just wound up going through. List goes on and on. He's got his fingerprints just all over the basketball landscape and it was great to be able to get Brian on the podcast today. So big thanks to him. And now it is that time of the podcast coming up next. I give you a little bit of a roundup as to all the news and notes that we wound up seeing in college basketball on Monday. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, 
the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Always a pleasure to get Brian Burton on. He is doing a tremendous job as a play-by-play analyst over there at ESPN. On top of that, he is the founder and CEO of All Access Network, and he does a great job when it comes to just being a father as well, when it comes to just everything that he winds up doing, running multi-team events. He is also someone that has done quite a bit of coaching throughout his career as well. So good to be able to get that perspective on the podcast today. Big thanks to him. Now it is that time of the podcast. It can be a little bit of a roundup as to all the news and notes that we wound up seeing in college basketball on Monday. And the biggest note that we wound up seeing is someone who was in the transfer portal that decided, you know what, he's going to come back to where he wound up being at last season. That would be Mr. Detroit Mercy himself and Antoine Davis. He was just absolutely lighting it up the last few seasons over there. And he decided that he is going to play for his father for one more season. He decided that he is heading back to Detroit after last season. 
24 points, 3.5 rebounds, 4.5 assists per game, and he was pretty efficient. Shot 38% from three-point range on over 10 threes per game. Guy is just an absolute stat sheet suffering. His 23.9 points per game was actually the lowest of his career. That's just absolutely insane. His scoring has went down in every single year because he started out at 26.1 points, then 24.3, then 24, then 23.9, but... Uh, that is because he's done a better job of being able to share the ball. Probably needs to work a little bit on his rebounding, but just a great pure score. This is big for a Detroit team that's going to look to contend out there in the Horizon League this season. So absolutely massive that he is going to be coming back for one more year to be able to play for his father. Jamil Reynolds, he was playing this last season at Central Florida. He has decided that he is going to be going to Temple as we give our old Delane Kiffin. Well, says he's familiar with the conference already, a little bit more of a defensive player, which that's what Temple is typically looking for. Three and a half points, two rebounds per contest. Not a guy that's going to be out there stretching the floor at six foot nine, but someone who's a relatively solid, just cog to be able to have in the lineup. Not a guy that's going to go into takeover mode, but we wound up seeing with Temple, they were relatively inconsistent down low. They used quite a few guys that would grab like five to six rebounds per game, but they didn't necessarily have that guy during the class of 2019. He was number 323 with regards to that recruiting class. Certainly big guy that's able to clog things up down low. If he can become a little bit more of a assertive guy with more minutes, like I think he's going to be able to, I think that he can be a very good pickup here. Craig Boudion, he was playing this last season at Cleveland State. He decided that he is going to be going to the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. This guy wound up being just banged up last season, was limited to two games, so you really weren't able to get much of a sample size there, but while he was playing in his two main years with Cleveland State, this guy was able to light it up. Nine and a half points per game, put up three and a half assists at 2.2 turnovers per contest, and really that sophomore year, he wound up having 3.3 assists at two turnovers per game, and during that 2020-21 season. Also shot 40.7% from three-point range. He instantly comes in and is going to be able to elevate this UMBC team. Now with UMBC, they did wind up losing LJ Owens in the offseason, but they've got Travion Fagan, who's going to be coming in from Buffalo. Jarvis Doles, he's a six foot nine, little bit of a combo player. He should be able to help them out. Colton Lawrence was able to put up double figures at the D2 level. This has been a nice haul for UMBC. They aren't going to be challenging for Mont, in my opinion. I still think that Vermont, despite the fact that they're going to be losing some pieces in the offseason, they're still going to be atop the conference, especially with the fact that they wind up getting in Dylan Penn and Ariello Aofeali who winds up coming in from Rhode Island, but that said, I think that things are getting a little bit tighter out there in the America East. This is a very, very good pickup for UMBC, and I think that they're going to be a top three team when it's all said and done out there in the conference, and this is also going to be a big one for the conference as Albany wound up having a nice little upset last season over Boston College. They wound up fading a little bit towards back half of the season, but I think that they could make things interesting out there in the America East. They pick up Japana Kellogg the third, six foot eight, little bit of a Joker player for UW Milwaukee this last season at six foot eight, six and a half points, four rebounds. Not a guy that was going to pop threes, but someone that was able to do a solid job down low for a UW Green Bay school that. We're going to call it what it is. They played at a very slow, methodical style, so he's going to go into Albany and right away be solid there. And what Albany really was missing last season was that guy that was able to pull in rebounds as 
They did not wind up having a single guy. They gave them more than 4.8 rebounds per game, and that would be Devondre Perry, who wound up missing half the season with having doles out of the fold, who I mentioned a little bit earlier. Going over to UMBC, they needed a little bit more out there in the post. Kellogg should be able to come in, and he should be an impact player for this team. So I do like this move for them, and that is going to be able to elevate them a little bit. You did wind up seeing... TJ Medlock, he was playing for his father over there at South Carolina State this last season, one of the teams that we wanted seeing in the Rising Coaches Challenge. He wound up putting up 12.5 points, 5.5 rebounds, 3.2 assists, 1.5 steals, was legitimately one of the best players out there in the MEAC. He is following his father who wound up taking the Alabama State job that was open this last offseason after Mo Williams decided that he was going to be moving on. This is very good for Alabama State. An Alabama State program that I mean, you don't need me to tell you that, well, they've had a little bit of a rough go of it. When you hear Alabama State basketball, I'm sure that not many of you guys are thinking, oh, yeah, this has been just a complete and utter juggernaut or anything like that. But take a look at Alabama State. They have won 12 games or fewer each out of the last six seasons. I think that they could be able to elevate themselves. I think that this is a team that they're probably not going to be able to win the swag this season, but they've got some nice pieces, even with losing Gerald Liddell. It's an Alabama State team that being able to bring in some of these guys that want to make South Carolina State so successful this last season should be able to help them out. And Mr. Madlock, along with his son, should be able to turn things around a little bit, in my opinion. So I like what's being built there. Colin Kenny, he was playing at Furman, wound up redshirting this last season. Wasn't expected to do a whole heck of a lot. He wound up averaging right around two and a half points per game in his last season for Furman. Inside that he's going to be going down to the non-D1 level. He is going to be heading to Lewis College. Very easy for a handicap. All you need to note is that Mr. Kenny, who did not wind up doing anything last season in general, he's not out at the Don D1 level. You can cross him off your list of guys that you need to evaluate and just move on. And we've got a few of these guys that have decided that they're going to be going to Simon Frazier. So this makes it even easier. George Lefevre, he was playing at Vermont this last season. He and Eric Beckett. And Beckett did not wind up seeing a lot of minutes for Vermont either. They were on an NCAA tournament team, which is absolutely terrific. But I mean, really, both of these guys wound up averaging fewer than two points per game. Aside from Beckett, who he played in five games, which is why he wound up being able to average a little bit more. But neither of these guys wound up playing any sort of a role whatsoever. They decided to move on to Simon Frazier and... Well, hey, Simon Frazier getting three former D1 guys. That's actually a very good haul for them as they also wound up picking up the gentleman, Victor Ragovich, who was playing this last season over at Eastern Washington, wound up giving the team right around two points per contest. So, I mean, good on the D2 school for being able to bring in some guys that said not really going to be making too much of an impact when it comes to our handicapping of D1 schools. LaCroix Patterson, he this last season was playing over there at Missouri State for Mr. Patterson. He was able to put up 7.5 points per game, was a starter for the team, a little bit more of a glue guy in general. Shot just 15% from three-point range. Six foot one, 230-pound, little bit of a chunkier guard has decided that he is going to be going to Charlotte. Charlotte is a team that, much like Missouri State, they play relatively slow. They were able to do a good job on offense with regards to their efficiency. Were absolutely a hot mess on defense, losing Jameer Young. They needed to find 
a little bit of a replacement there. He's going to be able to come in, be able to give this team some solid minutes. It's a Charlotte team that feels like they're a little bit of a group of misfit parts at this point in which Jameer Young did everything and then everyone else was sort of just miring in La La Land or something like that. It was very strange to take a look at. So maybe this will give a little bit more structure to them, but he's all good in my opinion for Charlotte. I think that Patterson from day one going to be a starter for this team. Otis Frazier third. He was playing this last season at George Mason. Didn't necessarily get the playing time that he was looking for. Only wound up putting up right around two and a half points per contest. Did wind up shooting 36.5% from three-point range. And one given minutes, Otis Frazier was able to be halfway okay for this team. Never necessarily a super highly touted guy, but someone that wanted coming in with a little bit of fanfare. He has decided that he is going to be going to UTEP, and we talked about it. Sule Boom wanted moving on from UTEP in the offseason. That was a little bit of a blow for them, and that's one of the bigger transfers that we've seen this offseason that's really going under the radar. Him going over to there to Xavier, but with UTEP, they run a little bit of a slower style, a style which they really want guys to be able to pickpocket and be able to generate some seals. I think that Frazier going to be able to fit in quite well as a six foot six, little bit of a combo guy that's able to guard both positions. I think that he's going to do a better job with active hands that he was able to show in his limited minutes in two seasons at George Mason. So I think that this is a good fit for them. Riley Abercrombie, he is not going to be going to Fitch, but he is rather going to be going to Northern Colorado. Wound up seeing some good minutes for Rice during the 2020-21 season. In about 23 and a half minutes per contest, 7.5 points, 4 rebounds, shot 34% from 3 as he's a 6'9 combo player. This last season shot 41% from 3, but inexplicably his numbers wound up going from 24 minutes per contest, and despite Rice having a bunch of injuries this year, he wound up putting up just 9 minutes per game, and we've seen Northern Colorado do a great job of being able to implement these sort of cast-off guys with regards to the transfer portal and be able to do something with them. Look no further than Dallas Counts, who wound up seeing no playing time at all at Colorado. He wound up averaging 21 points per game this last season. Drew Cookshausen, who's playing over there at McNeese State, was a very solid three-point shooter for the team. So there's a track record of success for Northern Colorado, being able to get guys that have just good physical skills, guys that are able to shoot the three coming in and having success. Would not be surprised if this winds up being the latest of them. Devin Savage, he was playing this last season over at James Madison, just didn't wind up getting a lot of minutes. He was probably a little bit unhappy about that, only about two points per contest. He has decided that he is going to be becoming a merry man. He's going to be going to Merrimack College, and for Merrimack, this is terrific for them. James Madison is a school that they play about as close of a style as you're going to get to Merrimack. Merrimack is unique in it of itself, the way that they do wind up being able to run their amoeba zone. It is really one of a kind, but James Madison, they were playing a lot of pressure. They were doing a good job of being able to generate steals in general, so I think that he's going to be able to come in. Going down to the lower level should be able to see some minutes, and I think that he's going to be a good fit for a defense that they did wind up losing quite a few key pieces in the offseason, so he's going to be able to come in, and he's going to be able to fill the void there. Derek Carter Hollinger is a very late addition to the transfer portal. He just wound up entering in in the last 24 hours, which I thought that the deadline was May 1st, but apparently the NCAA decided, ah, no thanks, you guys can enter in as well. But, I mean, this was someone that was a little bit more of a specialty role player this last year at Montana. Six and a half points. He did wind up seeing a dip in his rebounding from a few seasons ago where he wound up having five boards per game, only two and a half this season, but shot 44% from three-point range as a little bit of a six-foot-five combo player. He was a Big Sky Rookie of the Year during the 2019-20 season. Not a guy that's going to come in and 
necessarily lead your program to the promised land or anything like that, but certainly a capable player and someone with a little bit of size that's able to pop three. So he was out there in the transfer portal along Devontae Robinson. Robinson this last season was playing at sets and 2.2 points per contest, so him entering in, not necessarily too much of a shock because it's very questionable as to whether or not he's just going to be winding up on another roster or not. Pierre Cockrell, the second he has made his decision, was playing out there in the state of California this last season for Pacific and decided that he is going to be staying in-state. He's going to be going to UC Irvine and playing for the Anteaters. Zot, zot for our good friend Andy McMillan, who absolutely loves this college. And I think that should be a good fit. What UC Irvine has always lacked the last few years is that main facilitator, as they haven't had that guy that's able to give you really more than like two and a half assists per contest. And when I was at Pacific, was a relatively solid on ball defender. Not a guy that wanted taking a lot of shots, but when needed to, he was able to pop some threes. Shot 37.5% from three point range this last season. Six and a half points, 4.3 assists, 1.2 steals per game, all while turning the ball over just twice. Probably needs to work on the rebounding a little bit, but I think that this will be a good fit for UC Irvine. Should be able to see very meaningful minutes right away, so I like this addition for them. You want to see Ali Diba, who he wound up having one of the most interesting seasons that you're ever going to see for Chicago State because in the very limited amount of games that he wound up playing, he was absolutely tremendous for this team. But the problem with Ali Abdul-Diba was he wound up playing in five games this season. He wound up being able to put up 13.5 points per contest. I'm not sure if it was injury-related or not because they were just sort of scattered. It's as if it was like once every six games, sort of like, oh, now you wind up getting Ali Abdul-Diba. It's as if he was like on a five-game pitch count or something like that. And every time he was out there, he was tremendous. But he decided that he's going to be going to Abilene Christian. He's going to be staying insane. And if they can keep him out there for a full season, this guy has some upside. Shot right around 33% from three-point range as a 6'5 combo player. Mentioned it. 13.5 points per game. 1.2 steals per contest. This is a guy that's able to put up some numbers. Now, at a school like Abilene Christian, he is going to need to play more defense at Chicago State. Well, they wind up playing the defense that would make Casper the friendly ghost very, very proud, in which they played close to none at all. But I do think that you should be able to go into Abilene Christian, be able to get some minutes and be just one of those key cogs for that team, in which it is always a case in which a hole is greater than the sum of its parts. Oftentimes, Winthrop is a team in which a hole is greater than the sum of its parts, and one of their parts, and Josh Corbin decided to leave, and he is heading to Robert Morris, Bobby Morris, getting the guy that last year wound up putting up 4.5 points per contest season before during the 2020-21 season, had 6.5 points per game, someone that for his college basketball career has been able to shoot 35.5% from three-part range, native of more of that mid West area in Ohio. Robert Morris are located in Pennsylvania, so it's going a little bit closer to home with this. I think they should be able to see some meaningful minutes for a Robert Morris team that they actually wound up playing better towards back half of the season after they did wind up having a few of their key transfers wind up leaving the program and the most notable one was a guy that I thought was actually going to be able to tear it up with Robert Morris and was the leader in assists when he wound up leaving the program in Rasheem Dunn after he wound up leaving. The team actually played significantly better after that. And you do take a look at Robert Morris, and this has been a team that has been very active in the transfer portal last few seasons, which means that they've had a lot of turnover. They've had a couple of misfit pieces, but that said, with Robert Morris, their haul this offseason has been small and it's been a little bit more direct, but also having Trey James coming in from Iona, a six foot nine, 235 pound big band. So far, so good for Bobby Morris with that regard. Simon Wilbar, he was playing at Indiana State, the good old Sycamores this last season. He has decided that he is going to be heading to Holy Cross, and typically we wind up seeing players leave Holy Cross in order to go other places. 
This gentleman is six foot eleven, two hundred and thirty-five pounds. Has a little bit of versatility. He shot right around thirty-one percent from three-point range. Three and a half points, three rebounds per game. Didn't necessarily see the minutes that he was hoping for at Indiana State. He was one of those guys which he wound up getting seventeen starts, but wound up giving like twelve minutes. So he was sort of in that sort of a role. But I do take a look at him going over to Holy Cross and. Holy Cross wound up having some moments of brightness towards the back half of the season, and all of a sudden, Holy Cross, after they were just completely derailed a couple of years ago after Pat Carmody wound up literally stepping down during the summer, led to a mass exodus, and the entire roster just wound up going to mush, they should be building themselves back up a little bit more. So you do like to see that. The two gentlemen from the Peacocks in Fusani Drame and Asan Drame, big part of what St. Peter's was able to do, going to the Elite Eight, they have decided that they are going to be going to LaSalle, and this has been a very good offseason for LaSalle. As Fred Dumphy, a legend out there in the state of Pennsylvania with regards to being able to coach basketball, he took over in the offseason. Matt McFarlane was really the lone transfer that they had gotten to this point, six foot ten gentleman that was on the Wichita State bench this last season, but now being able to ring in both of these guys, that is going to be able to give them both size and versatility, and it's very clear that LaSalle, they are not going to be playing overly up-tempo, but they're going to be looking to hit the glass, and when you take a look at both of the dramas, they were able to combine for right in the neighborhood about 13 points per contest, 11.5 rebounds, You've got a pair of guys that they're able to stretch the floor a little bit more as Fusani Drame was able to shoot 36.5% from three-point range. Asan Drame, he shot right around 34.5% from three-point range. Fusani is someone that's a little bit more willing to take the threes, but both of these guys were able to play very sound defense for a St. Peter's team in which they wound up hanging their hat on that. So I take a look at it. Very interesting to see both of them wind up going to LaSalle. And LaSalle, I don't think that they're going to be, by any stretch of the imagination, like an NCAA tournament contender or anything like that, but arrow trending upward on them, in my opinion. You wound up seeing Tariq Bologun. He was playing this last season at Eastern Kentucky, and he has decided that he is going to be becoming a Bearcat, and he is going to be going to Binghamton. This last season just did not wind up seeing a whole bunch of minutes when it came to his time at Eastern Kentucky. Did wind up seeing 10 starts, but only about 4 points, 2 rebounds per contest. A guy that was able to do a nice job as a little bit more of a rim protector. 1.4 blocks per contest. Not a guy that is going to be going out there and spacing the floor, but for his career, a 63% shooter in Binghamton. They really were able to rise up once again. In a conference I've talked a lot about in this podcast, Podcast today, the America East, them being able to get in. A guy that is six foot ten that's able to block shots like that. That's going to be huge out there in American East. That you just really don't have a lot of rim protectors. It is a big reason why you did wind up seeing last season Ryan Davis just be as dominant as he was. So I take a look at Binghamton, and I like what I'm seeing with the new coaching regime that wanted to take it over a few seasons ago. And if you're looking at size, Loyola Marymount is going to be getting it with Rick Isenza. He was playing this last season at Oklahoma. Just really could not wind up getting off the bench. And I think that this is sort of a buy low spot on a guy that winds up having seven foot one size and really not much else with Rick Isenza. He is going to be heading over there to Loyola Marymount and the Mount. They've had success with dollar players in the past. I just take a look at Mateus Markison a few seasons ago. He was able to come in and he was able to tear it up with Isenza. It's not like this guy was super highly touted at any point. He was number 496 with regards to the class of 2019 by 247 Sports with regards to their recruiting rankings. So this is really, like I said, a guy that is seven foot one that's getting an opportunity that he's seven foot one. If he's able to put it together, it's going to be a big boom. 
That said, it's a little bit easier said than done to be able to get a guy of that size to be able to get online. You wind up seeing Tezos Cook decide that he is going to be going down to the junior college level, wind up averaging just a point per game. This last season at Setson, he's going to Vicente's College. We've seen a lot of guys from Setson decide to go down to the non-D1 level, so it's going to be interesting to see if we wind up seeing more notable guys doing that as it's mostly been your guys that are sort of on the outside looking in with regards to minutes. Qua Grant, this is a guy that he was sort of on the outside looking in with regards to the minutes I was expecting at Wichita State, right around 16 minutes per contest after he was a D2 All-American two seasons ago, putting up over 20 points per contest at West Texas A&M. He is going to be going back to the state with Sam Houston State, and with Sam Houston State losing Savion Flag, minutes are going to be available for him, with Grant Wanda putting up 4.5 points, right around 2 assists per contest, and I think that this is going to be absolutely tremendous for Sam Houston State. Sam Houston State has quite a bit of their backcourt from last season returning, and you just take a look at what he was able to do at West Texas A&M when he was allowed to run the show, and I don't think that he's going to be completely running the show when he winds up going over to there to Sam Houston State, but 22.5 points per contest, shot 38.5% from three-point range, eight rebounds per game, as a little bit of a six-foot-one do-it-all guard. I think that he's going to be able to have himself a very big season, and the good news for Sam Houston State, a team that was dead last with regards to free-throw shooting percentage last season, he wound up being able to shoot while he was at West Texas A&M, right around 78% of the free-throw line, though, I will say. 62% while he was at Wichita State last season, so he'll fit right in if he winds up doing that once again. Babakir Kolabi he was playing this last season at USC. We're going to call it what it is. He just did not wind up seeing a lot of playing time as, once again, you wound up having both of the Mobley brothers in front of him the last few seasons. You also wound up having the gentleman that wanted coming in from Wofford being able to do a very solid job down low in Chavez Goodwin. He decided that he is going to be transferring to Pepperdine and becoming a wave. I can tell you right now, if there's a coach I don't have a lot of faith in being able to develop someone, it is sure as heck Lorenzo Romar and We've seen Pepperdine ever since his guys have taken over the reins. Not necessarily do so great. He was the number 232 prospect in the class of 2020 for Mr. Kolabi. And someone who's not going to be able to stretch out the floor, but someone that's able to do a nice job as a little bit of a rim protector. I think that he's going to be able to give a Pepperdine team that was just absolutely terrible on the glass this last season a little bit more. But I still think that with Pepperdine, you're looking at one of the bottom teams when it comes to this conference, especially when you take a look at what San Diego is able to do. They wind up hiring on Steve Lavin in the offseason, which I've got my question marks there, but he wound up getting in a big-time transfer on Monday as Jaden Dallaire, who wound up averaging 10 points per contest, spent the last two years as a starter at Stanford. He is heading over there, and I mean, even last year wasn't his best year. That was actually during the 2020-21 season. Out there in the Pac-12 for a team that was on the bubble of making the NCAA tournament. 12.5 points, four boards, shot right around 33% from three-part range the last two seasons. Six foot nine, little bit of a combo player. Him going over there to San Diego after what he wanted doing in the Pac-12. That is absolutely massive for them. Now, San Diego, not a team that's going to be vying for being able to knock off Gonzaga or anything like that, but arrow trending upward on San Diego. That is for sure. That is a massive gift for them. Mikhail Brown-Jones, he this last season was playing at VCU. He has decided that he is going to be heading over to UNC Greensboro. Greensboro, another team that much like VCU, hangs their hat on defense. They've got Mike Jones, who Mike Jones as their coach. and Should be able to come in, should be able to give the team a little bit of production, and 
He'll fit right in because he likes shooting threes, but can't shoot them very well. Shot 23% from three-point range. Should be able to give Greensboro a little bit of rebounding. They needed a little bit of help there at 6'10". Should be able to see some good minutes at VCU. Just was sort of lost in the shadows a little bit more. So that is going to be very solid for all parties, in my opinion. And Tim L. Pearson, I think that he's going to be relatively solid at Appalachian State. App State needed a little bit more rebounding, in my opinion, last two years. Pearson, after he began his career at UAB, was a starter, and he was relatively solid the last two seasons. In his two years with the Leathernecks, was able to put up right around 10.2 points, six and a half rebounds per game. Not necessarily a tremendous shot blocker, not a guy that's going to be able to stretch the floor, but a good, pure six foot ten big man that Appalachian State is looking for because App State. What they did a good job of this last season was playing defense and being able to not turn the ball over themselves. They needed a little bit more punch down, though. Pearson should be able to provide that, so that is a very solid get for Dustin Kearns and company, and Kearns, in my opinion, is doing a very good job with that program. Minnesota has been very active in the transfer portal. Their biggest get by far was being able to get Dawson Garcia. That's going to be able to help them out. But you had a team with not a lot of depth this last season. And Minnesota hoping to rectify that a little bit as Torres Samuels is going to be coming in. He spent the last two seasons as a starter over there at the Ivy League. That's between 2019-20 and 21-22 since obviously the Ivy League opted out of that 2020-21 season. But this last year, 9.5 points per contest. Shot right around 32% from three-point range. Now, if he's seeing starter minutes at Minnesota, you should be very, very concerned because this guy should not be a starter. That said, Minnesota just needed literally anything coming off the bench because they wound up running a six-man rotation throughout the entirety of the season. He winds up bringing in a little bit of experience. I think that this is going to be a guy that gives you 10 minutes, going to be a little bit more of a glue guy, play a little bit of defense, give you a couple fouls. So just veteran leadership that you wind up needing. I believe that we did wind up having our good friend Brian Burton talking about a little bit of that in the second segment. That's sort of the guy that Minnesota is going to be hoping to get, in my opinion. Not a guy that's going to be a statue sufferer, but a guy that's just going to be able to help out the team in general. And then you wind up seeing Brandon Betson, who actually had a very good year at Chicago State. And it's part of the reason why Chicago State was able to make you a little bit of money, especially towards the non-conference portion of the season. 14 points, 3 assists. Do you end up having three turnovers per contest, but also shot 37% from three-point range. He's going to be heading over there to Tulsa. Tulsa under a little bit of a new regime. Got to figure that they're going to be probably cranking up the tempo a little bit more. And you take a look at the way that Betson was able to close out the season from February 2nd on. This guy wound up putting up 16.5 points per contest, wound up shooting 39% from three on eight threes per contest. And... He wound up putting up at least 12 points in every one of those final 11 games. So he was getting better and better as the season went along. This is a good underrated get for Tulsa. Now, I obviously don't think that Mr. Benson is going to be able to maintain the same production and the same amount of shooting that he wound up having at Chicago State in general. He's not going to be taking eight threes per contest, but certainly a good get there. And then we wound up seeing Marcus Williams, who... Two seasons ago, while he was at Wyoming, was able to do an absolutely tremendous job for them. Last season, wound up going over there to Texas A&M, wound up stepping away from the program due to issues that wound up occurring off the floor. He decided that he is going to be becoming a Don, and he's going to be going to San Francisco. This is big because San Francisco, as we all know, they wind up losing Todd Golden. They wind up promoting from within with regards to their coaching regime. So, got a lot of the same pieces that are in there, but you're probably going to be losing quite a few guys from last season. They wind up bringing 
bringing in a guy from in-state, Antonio Rokach, who was the leading scorer at UC San Diego. He's a little bit of a six foot nine combo player. And now they wind up bringing in Williams, who, if he's able to do what he wound up doing at Wyoming during the 2020-21 season, which I think that the Mountain West pretty comparable to the West Coast Conference. Obviously, you don't wind up having Gonzaga in the Mountain West, but still was able to put up 15 points, 4.3 assists, sealing at per contest, shot 33% from three, but really towards the beginning part of the season was able to bury a couple threes. This is going to be a San Francisco team that's going to be very, very happy about him, and hopefully you're happy with what you're getting on this podcast, Coast to Coast Hoops, doing everything I can to get you guys prepared for the upcoming season. We've got a lot that is going on with regards to the transfer portal, so hopefully as the weeks wind up coming along, we are going to be able to get a little bit more clarity as to how these rosters are going to be looking, and then from there, I'm able to give you guys a look at everything that we're going to be getting with regards to these conferences, start to take a look at conference previews, top 25s, things like that. So if you do like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast Coast Soups, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment, idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at gunit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters EM. Maybe it does not matter, so as per usual, please just send these into the timeline and the other ways find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Find that five-star review. Big thanks once again to Brian Burton for joining me in the second segment. I'll be coming at you guys every single day, regular season and off-season, give you guys the news and notes of college basketball. And when we wind up getting in season, a side and total on every single game, every single day with picks and analysis on all of them. So I'll be coming at you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.